0: right, we're working our way through the first book of Corinthians, which is a letter which Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And typically in Paul's letters, he's writing to address issues in the church. He's writing to encourage, he's writing to teach, but he's writing to address specific issues that have been identified. And in this particular letter, he's responding to leadership from a lady called Chloe, who's in the church in Corinth, and some of her friends have gone to Paul in Rome and told him that there are things in the church that need addressing. And so he's addressed them. And two weeks ago, I spoke about the immaturity in the church because people were picking and choosing preachers that they would listen to according to personality and preference. Uh, And we spoke about the fact that that's something that will restrict the the maturity of the church and it's carnal, it's fleshly to do that. And then last week, Anne spoke beautifully on the fact that Paul talks about laying a foundation. And that the foundation of what we do in the kingdom of God has to be this, the story of the gospel. It has to be salvation. It has to be the gospel. And that that will be the foundation that we can stand on when everything else changes. And today I want to carry on with that particular topic because we're looking at building on the foundation. I'd like to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 to 17. says this, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. Well, if, what we have been, sorry, if what has been built uh, survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but will yet be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and the God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. So we told we have a foundation, but that we have a task to build on it. Um, that we have a responsibility to build on that foundation. We build the superstructure. Buildings have foundations which we never see. They are essential, they're incredibly important, and the building can't stand, and Colin's nodding his head at the back because he's a a building expert. I just saw the head nod when we spoke about foundations because without the foundation, everything else you put on it is a jeopardy. It may look fantastic, it may be ornate, it may be very modern and, and wonderful, but if it hasn't got a good foundation, it's not gonna accomplish the purpose it's been designed for. But then you begin to build on the foundation the parts that we can see and that we can experience. And that's the role that we have as the body of Christ. We have the role of building God's church. Now, we have a lovely physical building here, but that's not what we're talking about. We're building the church of God, the people, and the ministry. We build character, and we build ministry. It's what we do and how we do it that people can observe. And they're looking at us to see what the church looks like. And so I thought the best place to look at to get an idea of what we should be doing as the body of Christ, is to go to the early church, and I go here frequently to chastise myself and to encourage myself and to challenge myself. It talks about the early church in Jerusalem, and it's in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 and, uh, to 47. It says this. This is how the church behaved. And the context of this is we've had Pentecost come, the Holy Spirit's come upon the church. Peter's preached that incredible sermon, 3,000 people have come into church, and that's begun this church Jerusalem which is the very first blueprint that we have of what a church should look like and this is what these people do it says they devoted themselves to the Apostles teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to pray and everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the Apostles all the believers were together and had everything in common and basically they lived like Jesus lived and they did the things that Jesus did they did them openly and publicly They sat in teaching to make sure that their foundation was solid. They broke bread together. They fellowshiped together. They prayed together. They performed signs and wonders just as Jesus had done. And it says, they sold possessions and property to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They built the church on the character of who they were and what they did. And they were the superstructure that was being built on the foundation that Jesus had laid. Jesus is no longer visible amongst them. He's present in the form of the Holy Spirit and the gospel is is alive and well and living in Jerusalem. That foundation is there. They're building the superstructure. They are doing what they can to make a visible structure in their lives and in their character and in what they do. And that's what we're called to do. I would say this to you. You've not been called to God's family just to sit back and watch. And I mean that with the greatest love. You've not been called to sit back and watch. You've been called to be part of it in what you do and how you do it and who you are. You are the hope of the world. Jesus has left us to do the job. And I, I have a constant picture in my mind of the people who must have brought the gospel through the ages until it reached my ears. And I had the opportunity to choose. And we part of that chain of of. The word coming down. Now, how much are we supposed to do? How much is each one supposed to do? Well, I like the story of the talents in Matthew chapter 25, verses 15 to 25, and I'll read that to you. It talks about a man about to go on a journey, and he calls his faithful servants, his stewards, his managers to him, and he invests a certain amount of money in each of them. And it says, to one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, and each according to his ability. And he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put the money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, "'Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful to the few things. I will place you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness.'" The man with two bags of gold also came and said, "'Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I've gained two more.'" And his master replied, "'Exactly the same.'" "'Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with the few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness.'" The man who received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew that you're a hard man harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered. So I was afraid and went to your head your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And he gets chastised because he hasn't built. He's just survived. We're not here just to survive. We are here to build and to develop. But according to what God has placed within us. It's really discouraging if you sit in a church or you sit in a ministry and you look at people who are particularly gifted and talented in a certain area and you say, I can never do that, so I'll never try. You've got something you can be doing right now. You've got a gifting and a talent in your life that you can be releasing right now, even if it's only the character and personality that you demonstrate to people around you. Now, I want to say that that's really, really important. Sometimes... People talk about the fact that we should preach the gospel through how we live, and that's true. But that's how you start. It's not intended to just stay there. I heard about somebody who said they went into a new business and they didn't want to talk a lot about their Christianity, so they just showed people they were a Christian by living differently. And one day someone came to them and said, there's something different about you I've been watching. Are you a vegan? You know, it's true that we change things just by who we are, but we intended to grow. We intended to become more proficient and more, more able in taking that gospel out to people in our lives and in what we say and how we influence them. But we call to build according to the gifting that we've been given. And I've written here how we build is not determined by the quantity of talent, but by our commitment and motivation. You know, when we build, our motivation for building is really, really important. Um, I do like going to the theater, and when I was at university, I had a friend who was studying like Johnny, studied to be an opera singer, a guy called Johan, and he started taking me along to operas. I have to confess, I, I did find it quite hard going, because I'd grown up with Bob Dylan and Joan Bias and people like that, so the Queen of the Night was challenging for me to understand, but I could respect it enormously, but one of the things that I could relate to, even with my ignorance, was the sets. They just look marvelous. The way that they can create the illusion of stability, and, of, and I remember going to a production of Aida, which, if I'm correct, opens in an in a, um, Egyptian temple, and there are these massive stone columns, and there's this guy singing the, the opening aria. And it looks so real, you, you have this sense of, of reality, and then he went over and he leaned against one of the pillars, and somebody hadn't put the brakes on the, the trolleys that the thing came on, so he sort of went across the stage <laughs> with this rather large pillar advancing in front of him and you realize that some things are built to look like they are strong some things are built to look like they are functional they look so real when you watch the movies we see a building and it looks just like a hotel in New York and actually it's just a facade in the front and sometimes sadly we build stage sets as the kingdom of God we build things that people look at and say wow because we do the things that people, you know, I, I grew up in a Christian family, and I, I was sitting around the table when I was six years old hearing people discuss the Bible. We used to play games, my brother and I. We'd play church, church. I'd preach, and he'd take the offering. And it actually worked that way. He became a businessman, and I began to minister in places. But, you know, when I, when I went to university, I went through a period of backsliding, and I could fool everybody at home when I went home that I was still super Christian. I knew what to say, I knew how to look, I could look pious, I could look very wholesome. I was that young case boy that the ladies wanted their daughter to marry, and actually deep inside I was a miserable person because I'd walked away from God. We can build a facade, we can build things that look good, and we can build structure in churches, and we can build worship teams, and and we must do those things, and we must make it as good as we can do, and we can build ministry teams and things, but we can also do that sometimes for what it looks like. And we're challenged here in the way that we build. How do we build? We build with what's invested in our lives, with what's treasure for us. We're told that sometimes we can build with silver and with gold and with precious stones, or we can build with straw or wood. And that's the challenge. What am I building with? What is, what, Where does my treasure lie? There are a couple of scriptures I wanted to refer to. Um, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again and then went to buy and He went home and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Are we building with those parts of our lives that are absolutely precious to us? Or are we giving God the wood and the straw of our lives? The extra time that we're not involved in something else, we give to him. The easy talent that we have that comes to us easily, we give to him. But digging in deep. That actually we just pushed to one side. And we're building something that looks impressive on the outside. Only God knows the heart that we're building with. So it's important when we look at our building and our commitment to building. Just need to find my notes here. That we look at what we build with and then also how we build. God's temple is to be built according to his desire and his structure. The foundation can only be laid by Jesus. The foundation can only be in the gospel. We can build according to his blueprint, or we can build according to what we want. And there's the story that says in Ephesians 2 verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members members of his household. Built on the foundation that the apostles and prophets laid with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become truly... A holy temple in the Lord we are built according to we are to build according to a blueprint when you have a builder building a house you get an architect and that person comes along and draws a plan of the building according to what you want you then give that blueprint to a builder and if you come back and there's something totally different you're not going to be happy the builder is doing the building for you. It's your house. It's your blueprint. He's not fulfilling his own plans and purposes. You come back and there's an office block there. You're not going to be happy. And he's, he's you know, going to say to you, well, I'm good at office blocks. Well, that's what I hired you for. That's not what I called you to do. The church needs to be built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. And, you know, that word we use it quite often, cornerstone. And it, in our minds, it's one of those things you see on a public building where there's a polished piece of granite and it's got... This cornerstone was laid by the mayor's wife in 1652 or whatever it might be. Um, And it's, it's a commemorative plaque. But the cornerstone had a very functional purpose in building in the old days. It was the first stone that went in. And on that stone, all the buildings were aligned. Your vertical planes, your angles were all aligned by the cornerstone. If the cornerstone was placed at the wrong angle, the whole aspect of your building was wrong. So you based it on that and everything had to come back to being square with the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of what we are building in our superstructure of the church. He's the the blueprint, and our Father doesn't want us building what we want. You know, there's there's a real challenge on the integrity of doctrine in the church at the moment. And recently, someone in one of the debates, and I'm not going to get into that particular debate, but it was very high profile a few weeks ago, made the statement, that church doctrine and biblical doctrine is not a set thing. It grows like an acorn into a tree. I don't agree with that. God has laid down what he wants, he's laid the foundations and he's laid the blueprints and we are to build a church that he wants to accomplish his purpose, not something that fits the social construct of the day. This looks right, this is attractive, this is something we can sell, we can get more people into our church if we build it slightly differently. We have a blueprint to build by and it's one that God will hold us accountable for. And that brings me to the last thing I want to talk to you about and that is the the concept that we have in this about judgment day and reward and loss talks about the fact that there will come a day in which our works will be judged and I want you to notice it's our works that will be judged not us if I'm a child of God I need to say to you my salvation is secure I'm going to heaven but God is looking at what I do and there are rewards the Bible says that we are going to receive in heaven not the least being well done good and faithful servant enter into your master's happiness but I just want to read a few things to you here. Um, it says, Their works will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. So there will be those who will receive a reward, and we will hear the words, Good and faithful servant, your master's happiness. It says, For those. If it is burnt up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, though, as one escaping through fire. It says there are going to be people who are going to get to heaven with what I call smoking buttocks. (laughs) They're going to skim in just because by the grace of Jesus Christ, they're going to get into heaven and they're going to rejoice in being there. But they're not going to bring a reward with them, which we are told to do, which we are called to do. And I struggled with this concept, reward in heaven. Heaven is its own reward. But there is a system whereby God makes it clear to us that heaven's gonna be a place where dynamically we exist with him with responsibilities and things to do and he's gonna trust those to do the big things that have had a track record of bringing their five talents with five more. And I heard a very good illustration and I wish I could remember where I heard it, but somebody said he had a, a picture or a vision and this is what he saw in the judgment day in the throne room of God. He saw people coming before God He was sitting on his throne with a great big staff in this wonderful environment. And the person would step up, and this is not supposed to be a true uh, activity, this is an illustration. person would step up, and an angel would say, this is the person's name, and the Lord would say, bring out the books. And out would come these massive tomes in leather binding, and those were, were the books of the person's life and their activities. And as they placed them before God in his vision or in his picture, God leaned forward and struck the book with his staff, and it would catch a light. And it would burn, and what would burn away would be the straw and the wood, the things that we've done for ourselves, the things we've done for the wrong motives, the stage dressing, the stage um, sets that were built, and what would stay and begin to trickle out with the gold and the silver and the precious stones of those things that we've done for the kingdom of God. And he said, as that fire burnt out, the angels would take the precious stones and the jewels that were left behind and fashion them into a crown and pass them to the person and that would be their reward. And it's a, it's a very graphic picture, but it says to me, We will be judged, our works will be judged. This says somebody comes, who suffered loss, they're still going to heaven. We only go to heaven because of Jesus Christ, but what we do there and how we function there and what responsibilities we carry there are concerned with what we do down here. So there's an extrinsic motive, there is a, a reward waiting for us if we serve God in His kingdom effectively. But more importantly, The joy of knowing that Paul could say at the end of his life, I've run my race, I've finished the course. That's what I desire the most in my life, is that when I get to the end of my life, I can say I've made mistakes, I've messed up, I've fallen down, I've got up, I've dusted my knees off, but I've run my race and I've finished the course. And I have tried, by the grace of God, to build well on the foundation that he's laid. One more thing he says that, I want to go back to the top Talks about the fact that we must not destroy or damage God's temple. I just want to remind you that Scripture does say to us that we are God's temple. The church corporately is the temple of God, and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Look after yourself and look after the church. We're endured, we are, we are instructed, we are told that we must protect the structure of the church within this community of people in our local church. As we build the ministries and the character of our church together, be kind to one another. Be be encouraging to one another be honest with one another be prepared to learn from one another there are always a large number of people in any community that build that community and lift people up there are sometimes people and I I'm not talking about anyone specifically please but sometimes they're people who just find their joy in pointing out to other people their shortcomings and to damage their confidence and to bring them to a point of not wanting to step out. And I'd say to you, watch out for that. That's one of the things that can creep into the church and begin to damage the structure. Encouragement, building up, supporting, loving, caring, but being honest at the same time. But, you know, so often Christians have got this thing, I just want to speak to you in love, brother. There's a bit of a problem, I just want to speak to you in love. And then we just flatten them. We use that as an excuse to be so harsh and so critical and so on but it's all in love brother examine your heart if you feel the need to speak to somebody about something that you're not happy with and say is it really in love what am i hoping to achieve do i want them to know that i'm unhappy with them or do i want to build them up do i want to help them to bible says you have a brother's in sin or a sister's in sin we should go to them and lovingly correct them that's important but what's my motive so let's not damage that temple let's build on the superstructure with good materials that we value that are precious to us Let's build with character. Let's build according to our ability and talents. And let's build according to God's blueprint and according to what he's laid out for us to do. And let's pray together now. Thank you, Lord, that you're a caring Father that hasn't left us without the means of knowing what it is you want us to do and the means of doing it by your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you require obedience from us, that you require our enthusiasm and our joy, but you pour so much into our lives in return. We just want to thank you for the honor and the privilege of being part of your body. We want to pray for those who don't know you, that they will know that joy and that they will be attracted to the body of Christ by the way that we behave and the way we treat them and the way we speak to them and the way we attract them to your kingdom. Thank you for your great love. Thank you for your integrity and your joy. In Jesus' name, amen.